Tonight, if you're taking notes, we are in week 10, and week 10 is called this, The Balance and Reconciliation. The Balance and Reconciliation. Have you ever gone through a time in life where you have, whether it be family members or friends or coworkers, anyone for that matter, who you know or you hope or you wish that you were reconciled to? Reconciled meaning to be restored with in relationship. Or maybe that, that family member that, you know, Christmas is coming up and Thanksgiving is coming up, and you know you got that family member that you're going to see at the dinner table but you really don't want to communicate with. I know I'm alone in that, but does it, is anyone, can anyone say amen to that? You got, yeah, you got those people that you just, oh, hey, how you doing? And you're shakily thinking, oh, I want to slit your throat. And, and so, you know, we, 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 all had those, we all had those relationships in our lives. Or, or maybe it goes deeper and we have those relationships where there are people in our lives that we wish we could talk to, but for some reason we just don't feel like we can establish that communication. This is where David's at. Date King David, a man after God's own heart, is at a place where he has fallen into sin. He has committed adultery. He's deceived people. He's murdered people. His firstborn son, the crown prince Amnon, has raped his half-sister, we found out last week. Um, Tam, uh, Tamar's brother, Absalom, was so bitter and angry at his brother that after sitting on it for two years, he plots his murder and kills his brother. When he gets to a dinner table, it was almost like Thanksgiving played out in the Bible. And he, 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 just took, he took the advantage and t- to take care of him. And David, at this point, he's, he's had all these um, sons rebelling. His daughter has been put into shame because she's been raped and she is in hiding and she, and she doesn't want to tell anyone or she, she doesn't want to be seen. She can't be married. Everyone is losing their identity. The, the sons are rebelling against him. And David simply wants one thing. He wants to be reunited with his son, Absalom. Now remember, at this point in the story, David has not brought any correction. Before Amnon was was murdered by Absalom, he wasn't corrected or or even put in jail or slapped on the wrist even for raping his half-sister. Tamar was in her shame, and David didn't do anything about it. Absalom ran off. Um, when he killed his brother, and he, now he's been in exile for three years. So all in all, about five or six years has been Absalom has been building up bitterness and anger toward his father because his father hadn't corrected anyone. He hasn't done anything, and he, Absalom just wanted one thing. I want my dad, I want my king to bring justice to the fact that this has happened. And it seems to be a good thing. I mean, I'd want justice brought for, for someone doing something to my sister or a family member. We all want justice, but the problem that we had discussed is that Absalom at no point has taken this desperation for justice to God. He's trying to take it in his own hands. And that's often what we do. We want the right things done, but we won't let the right man, the right God do the right thing. We want to take it in our hands and we want to do it. And oftentimes because we may not see God doing it, we get bitter and we get angry and we start coming up with our own plans. And before you know it, you want to take matters in your own hand instead of reconciling. David is at a place where Absalom has been away in exile three years, and he doesn't even want to punish Absalom. He just simply wants his son back. Amen? So in 2 Samuel verse 14, starting in verse 1, it says this. Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa, 
who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning, wear mourning clothes and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who's been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. And then Joab told her what to say. When the woman from Tekoa approached the king, she bowed with her face to the ground in deep respect and cried out, O king, help me. What's the trouble? The king asked. Alas, I'm a widow, she replied. My husband is dead. In Psalm 68, it tells us that God is a father to the fatherless and he is a defender of widows. Well, David is a man after God's own heart and as much as he has fallen, he has repented and he's trying to get in the step of the father and he knows that there is a call to defend widows. So the story that Joab tells this woman knows is going to pull on the heartstrings of King David. You see, because she is saying, I am a widow. Remember, this is a story. She's not actually a widow. She's a woman that, that is in a well-off place, but she's acting as if she was poor and grieving and distraught and that she has lost her husband. So she comes to David knowing that this story is going to get him to listen. At this time, if anyone ever felt like there wasn't something being done fairly or if something was mistreated, that if the local judge didn't make a right call, they would go to the chief justice. They would go to the top dog. They would go to the chief judge, and the chief judge was the king. So David is the chief judge. Now, reminding you, David is living out the repercussions of his sins with Bathsheba. God says your sons are going to rebel. He's starting to see the rebellion, and he's kind of in this tug of war. To one degree, he has not punished at all anyone that has done wrong, and the other degree, he wants his son back. So he's on two very opposite ends of the spectrums. He's very confused. And I believe that most of us, when we want to be reconciled with people, we're very confused of what to do. Because on one end, they deserve that you don't get my voice anymore. On the other end, God calls me to forgive. So what does that look like? So, so Joab is worried. Why is Joab worried? Because Absalom has been away for, th for three years this time, two years prior, and Absalom is getting really bitter and angry because everyone knows David ain't done nothing about Amnon killing or, or um, uh, Amnon raping Tamar and then Absalom killing Amnon. Nothing's been done, so there's a lot of stuff building up. Joab's worried, so he's like, let me try to get the king to understand why he needs to reach out to his son. Because on one end, he should reach out. On the other end, David's kind of like, well, he knows where I live. He can just come to me anytime he flipping wants to. That's where we're at. Y'all know, right? We've probably said that exact thing. <laughs> well, in verse 6, she, 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 she talks about the story that's made up by Joab. She says, my two sons had a fight out in the field. Can you guess why she's saying two sons? Absalom and Amnon. My two sons had a fight out in the field. Since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. And now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. Justice, right? Eye for an eye. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left, and my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. David is the king, the chief justice of Israel, and justice was supposed to be taken for this son being murdered. She says something interesting. She says, they, will only ex they want to extinguish the only coal that I have left. 
what she's talking about is the scriptures talk about a fire of passion burning. And she's saying they want to take the only thing that's going to keep my fire burning. Have you ever had that one thing that you feel like if someone takes it, everything is going to get lost? If, if, if I get an offense by this one area, I'm not going to have anything left. They want to take away the one thing that makes me passionate. They want to take away the one thing that makes me me. They want to take away the one thing that's going to beat. that's my identity. We have these places where we're so scared that something's going to be taken away. This is what she's saying. She says, this is all I have left, my family's name. If they kill him, then we won't have it. What are you going to do? So David, a man after God's own heart, a chief justice player, he extends what God extends. He extends mercy. Because the law was, you murdered him, we murder you. But look at the compassion in David in verse 8. He says, leave it to me, the king told her. Go home and I'll see to it that no one touches him. Look at the compassion that is moved in David. He says, he deserves to die. But I'm going to show mercy and compassion for what you need. Because God knows the needs of our hearts. David knew the need. He said, I'm going to be the defender of this widow. The only call she has left is her family's name. I'm going to excuse what's been done. Oh, thank you, my Lord, the king, verse 9. The woman from Tekoa replied, if you are criticized for helping me, let the blame follow me on my father's house and let the king and his throne be innocent. If anyone objects, the king said, bring him to me. I can assure you he will never harm you again. And then she said, please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. And as surely as the Lord lives, he replies, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. This reminds me very much of what he, he extended to Jonathan. Remember, when Jonathan and David were making a covenant about King Saul, Jonathan said, please never kill my father or any of my family and David said all right even though they deserve it I will have compassion he is getting back in his roots after this big fall he's saying yes I will have compassion and I will make sure that no one touches a hair on your head Micah 7 18 says this where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people you will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfair love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. How great is it that our God has such a compassion that he says, I am not going to let anything you have done separate you from getting the fire inside of you. I'm not going to let anything you've done separate you from letting me be in you, from being close to you. I'm not, I'm going to take care of the thing that should condemn you to death because you have sinned, you have murdered, murdered, you have, you have lied, you have gossiped, you've done this, you've done that. I am going to take care of that penalty so your coal never burns out. Well, God calls us to be image bearers of him. And we've got to look exactly like God looks. And there are many times where people are on the other end of reconciliation that their coal's burning out. But we're too proud to reach because injustice has been done to us and nothing we have done is wrong and we don't have anything to give. And God says, I have given you all of this so that you can extend the same arm of mercy wherever you can.
Matthew 5 says this, you have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist an evil person. And if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And there are so many times where we compromise this for, well, they deserve this because of what they did to me. And God says, I have reconciled you to me for a purpose. It is to look like me so that they can see me on this earth because right now they're blind. You know, we always pray things like open the blind eyes. But what if blind eyes are opened through the mirror image of what we offer? This man had one thing right. Show compassion, show mercy. But he had another thing wrong. David was very compassionate about this widow's issue. Is this okay? He was very compassionate about this widow's issue. But there was an unbalance. Because he was so quick to say, I'll excuse your son of murdering him. But for some reason, it's been three years, and David will not reach out to his own boy to show mercy. Absalom is in exile. When he left... He was not allowed to come back in. He's in exile. And David would not reach out and, 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 and reconcile. Because why? Well, he murdered my boy. I ain't going to reach out to him. He knows where I'm at. He knows what he needs to do. I'm here. And they're trying to show David, you are not managing this rebellion very well, dude. Your kids are rebelling against you and you're feeding that fire of rebellion by not reaching out. You're feeding that fire of separation by not trying to restore anything. And I believe where the church has fallen the biggest lack is that we are not reaching out for restoration. We talk about the prodigals returning and we talk about God doing big things in the area, but what are we doing to reconcile the people back to God? I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in kingdom. I'm a big believer in what the purpose of this church is, and it is to bring up disciples, not just to have a bunch of people lost in the seats, but really teach you and build you up. And part of that is that we cannot forget what God has called us to do, to go and make disciples. What does that mean? Reconciling lost relationships to bring them into following Jesus no matter what it takes. But it's not just, hey, Jesus loves you. It's being able to take them by the arm and being slapped on the cheek over and over and over and over and over at the promise of a chance for reconciliation. That hurt. Reconciliation is not just mercy for sin. It's a call to restore because of mercy. It's not just I want to show mercy in what's done. It's I'm willing to reach out an arm to restore what was lost. Because we love to talk about how God wants us unified and he doesn't want separation in the body. But sometimes the biggest separation is in the people closest to you because of an offense that was done. Well, you don't, they did me wrong, Kyle. I lost a job. I lost a position. I lost respect. I lost trust. Where is the ministry of reconciliation? He had mercy in excusing Absalom of murder. Justice had not been brought, 
And David wasn't doing what he was supposed to do as a chief justice. James 4, 6 says this, He gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I wonder if David had reached out sooner, who knows what would happen with Absalom. You know, in the scripture in chapter 12, when David fell with Bathsheba, God sent the prophet Nathan and said, your sons will rebel. But he never told David how they would or what the repercussions of rebellion would be. And a lot of people have preached that David had what was coming to him. But as I was reading this, I think God showed me something. Maybe God put the sons to rebel, but it was up to David to manage how he would handle the rebellion so that he would redeem what was lost. Because what happens, he says, your sons will rebel against you. So they start a rebellion, and he did everything wrong. He was so embarrassed of his own sins that he said, yes, 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 do what you want to do. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And there was never a balance of a price. There was never a balance of repentance. And there was never a balance in reconciling the son to the father. Three years and he's building up so much bitterness and anger that no matter what David does at this point, it's not going to make a difference. And I wonder if our pause of reconciliation just causes it to get harder and harder and harder because we won't reach out the arm. I wonder how many people are in this church tonight that are not in these seats, but no one has thought to give them a call to reconcile what was lost. I wonder how people, how many people here came and talk about God in their households because they're not trying to reconcile what's been lost. So what's been lost is I've lost my relationship, Kyle. I've lost trust. I'm not talking about reconciling just you. I'm talking about reconciling lost sons and daughters to the Father. He's a father to the fatherless. He is, he is the king of kings. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is great. And he's so bad, wants to be restored to his kids. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Why does God oppose the proud? Because the presence of pride will render fate impossible. Think about it. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. But what pride does, it causes us to only walk by what? Sight. Because we're too prideful to have a listening ear to the voice of the Father. I know what I'm doing. I've been through this before. This doesn't make sense to me. And God's like, my ways are higher. My thinking's higher. I'm going to take you at a place that doesn't make sense, lead you on a path that doesn't look right. But pride says, I, I'm, I'm going to go my own way. And God's like, no, you can't, you can't go your own way. He's, he's like, no, no, no. You've you got to walk by faith, not by sight. He's called us to reconcile. But what happens is we walk by sight. Well, Kyle, you don't know that person in my life. They will never receive it. You're, you're so proud that you will humble yourself to the working of the Father. He's a lot more powerful than you, than you are. He's more powerful than your words. He's more powerful than your intellect. He's more powerful than your reasoning. He's better than anything you can think of. And he says, I will make you strong where you're weak. And when he says reconcile, we say, but God, I can't because of this. And God's like, did you not remember all the things that I am that you're not? Is this speaking to anyone? Reconciliation. So they, they bring this story to, to, to David, 
And David is like, yeah, I'm going to have compassion. Well, then the woman starts to explain in verse 12, throw it up there. It says, please allow me to ask one more thing of my Lord King, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you promised to do for me? You convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. <laughs> Calls her. Don't ever say a woman can't speak to kings in the Bible. Throw away this whole women don't have. This, this woman just laid it down to the king. John MacArthur. Um, <laughs> now here's the reality. <laughs> Absalom is going to rebel. Okay? But that does not give David the right to not at least try. Romans 12, 18 says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Everyone. But what we do is we do the walk by sight and not by faith. And we'll build up these walls and we say, Well, I know I'm supposed to live in peace, but you don't know what they did to me. Do all that you can to live in peace with who? Everyone. Everyone. And sometimes living in peace doesn't mean that the relationship is restored to the point of friendship. It doesn't mean that you're going to walk hand in hand with this person anymore. But what it does mean is you extend the arm of reconciliation to release them of whatever guilt that has been put on your life. That father who abused or, or the mother who neglected or the brother that won't talk to you or the sister that talks bad about you or the son that's run far off, the spouse that's hurt you, the friends that have stabbed you in the back. If you've been struck on the left, turn to the right. Live peacefully with everyone. Don't deny your enemies. It doesn't mean we're walking hand in hand. But sometimes the greatest degree of separation is just the reality of it. To say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to reach out for reconciliation because I don't want an offense to separate the body anymore. We may never talk again, but I forgive you. We may, we may never speak again, but I release you of what you've done to me, even if you don't think you're guilty of it. See, that's what we do with reconciliation. We wait till they realize they're wrong. You don't have to wait till they realize anything. Because it's, it's not about them. It's I do what I can to live in peace with them. Even if they don't receive it, even if, they, even if they're still blind. Balance of reconciliation. I humble myself to the fact that they may not receive it, so I do it anyways. Think about what God did. He, he sent his son to die for everyone, and he's after every single person, and yet there are so many people blaspheming his name and making him out to be a mockery right now. And you know what the crazy thing is? The father says, even though you say I don't even exist, even though you profane my name, even though you make me out to be a fake God, I love you. But we can't do that with people. And we call ourselves image bearers and lovers of God. The woman goes on further in verse 14, which may be one of the most powerful scriptures I think I've read in this entire series, which it's a woman lying to David. <laughs> but she speaks this truth in verse 14. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, 
He devises ways to bring us back where we have been separated. It doesn't matter how spread apart we are. God desires one thing, for the water to get back together. For the water to be gathered together in his name. And you know what the beautiful thing about reconciliation is? The God, our God, Yeshua, is so consumed with reconciling people back to him. You know what the fruit of it is? When we're all reconciled back to the Father, we're all in one place, and that's called unity. One of the reasons the church is not unified is because we haven't really sought out reconciliation. Because if we were truly reconciled, we'd be in the exact same place. The water would be gathered together. <laughs> I don't know if this is just deep or what, but this is, this is, this is so good. The Father just says, I, wanna, I want to bring my children together. And I can't do it without my children. I need you to reconcile but there's balance in it because there has to be justice given and a price has to be paid. See, the issue with David is that he has not brought justice and he won't pay the price of humility. He's too proud to reach out to his son. <laughs> justice has got to be shown. Justice has to be shown to the murderers and the gossipers and the liars and the people who have done these horrible things. But God says, I have brought justice to you. What is justice? Sins paid for. That's justice in the kingdom of God. You see, we have got to get out of this idea about justice in the form of a man-made world. Justice is not they get what they deserve. We just read the scripture. You've heard eye for an eye, but they get what they deserve is eye for an eye. So God says, I'm going to one-up you. I am going to have someone get what you deserve so that you can be freed because you've heard eye for an eye, but I'm going to take an innocent one and make him pay for what you did so that you can be free to reconcile people back to the one who paid the thing, which is justice. So he says, I'm sending my son. He's going to be beaten and bruised for your transgressions, for your iniquities, and he's going to raise up on the third day. But the thing we forget in the kingdom of God is that when a king decrees something, he cannot go back on that decree. And God said, the penalty of sin is what? He cannot go back on that for his son Jesus. So Jesus did not die for you and go to heaven for three days because it was a great magic trick. If he had to pay death, where do death payers go? Yeah, y'all scared to say it, aren't you? Where, does he, where do death payers go? Hell. So he said, I am going to pay your debt and my king says that to pay your debt, I've got to go to the depths of Hades and I'm going to pay your sin, and on the third day, I am going to break the chains of death, and I'm going to break through the grave. And when Jesus rose, it said people in the graveyard came out and started walking around. 
Actually, let me me say that correctly. When he died, they got up and started walking around. When he rose, they left the cemetery. You want to know why? Because in a moment, he paid for everything so no one had anything to pay for anymore. So it's like we it's like we rose into life and God said now you've got the breakthrough change so you can start walking in this new life. So he paid the debt 3 days later literally broke the gates of hell and said um sin no longer qualifies you for it. <laughs> Receiving me or not does. <laughs> But there is a price to pay. Because in the balance of reconciliation, your justice was paid for. But there is something required of you still that churches don't want to talk about. Oh, Jesus paid for our sin. We're free. We have grace. We have mercy. Yay, we can do whatever we want. We still go to heaven. But look at Mark 8.35. If you try to hang on to your life, You will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. It does not say if you don't give up your life. It doesn't say if you give your life up, I'll save it. It says if you want your life saved, You've got to come into the balance of reconciliation. I have reconciled you to the Father. I have paid your debt of sin. In order for you to truly receive it, you've got to sacrifice your entire life for me. So in other words, people who are of God, who walk apart from him and say, I'm going to do what I want, and, but don't worry, I've prayed a salvation prayer, that is not sacrificing your life. That's not losing your life. There's a balance in reconciliation. He says, I'll, t- I'll take care of the justice. Now you take care of living for me. You sacrifice yourself, and if you sacrifice it, you will save it. In other words, God says, I'll take justice into my hands, and then you save yourself by living it out. I know this like, is, is in the face of like, years of theology, but like, no one can fire me here, so it's all good. Well, maybe some people can, but not tonight. Are y'all, are y'all understanding what I'm saying? There's a balance in reconciliation. You're reconciled with the price of sacrifice. So in verse 15, it says, I've come to plead with my Lord the King because people have threatened me. And I've said to myself, perhaps the King will listen to me and rescue us from those who have cut us off from the inheritance God's given us. They're worried that the inheritance of Israel is on the limb because Absalom, who's probably the next in line to be king, is going to rebel against you if you don't do something. Our inheritance is going to be lost. Yes, yes, my Lord, the king will give us peace of mind again. I know that you're like an angel of God and discerning good from evil. May the Lord God be with you. The beautiful thing about reconciliation is that when God paid the debt so that your justice will be taken care of and when you sacrifice yourself and that saves your life, he says now the inheritance that you would have lost is gained back. Because by law, if, uh, if, 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 a, if a child of God If a child of a king rebels, they no longer get to walk in royalty. And God says, but my kids do. 
I'm getting their inheritance back. So why is it that we know this truth, but we're all walking around gloom and doom and depressed and put out and in poverty? And when I mean by poverty, I'm not talking about a low-income paycheck. When the Bible talks about poverty, it's not talking about low funds. It's talking about a state of being. We are children of God at a royal table of more than enough, and we freak out when we don't make enough money on the paycheck. You want to know why? Because you're not walking in your inheritance. Because the inheritance of God says you can do anything you want and you can become what you want and you can walk into the dreams I have for you, but you're so depressed and, and bent out that you think the only source of income is what you know how to do right now. I heard a great man say, if you can accomplish your dreams with one paycheck, your dreams aren't big enough. You know what the vision for this, I'm, I'm speaking some things tonight. You know what the vision of this house is? It's a great vision to restore Savannah and to reconcile people and to raise up leaders. But can I be honest with you? That vision can't be accomplished with the current amount of tithe. Yeah, no one said amen to that. <laughs> because you always need things to accomplish a vision and a dream, resources and people. So God says, I'm going to buy back the inheritance so you have unlimited resources and now reconcile your back to yourself together so that the people come together and carry out the resources for the dream. <laughs> what was the dream here? Israel united under God. David had it, and now it's starting to fall apart. Gosh, I didn't even plan this stuff. This is so good. <laughs> the people aren't dumb. Absalom's getting mad, and they're scared that they're going to lose their inheritance. You see, David messed up because he allowed way too much. But now he's building up too many walls. I wonder how many of us are in this tug of war of too many walls, but not enough boundary. Because justice was needed for Absalom killing Abnon, but he put up so many walls that Absalom felt like he could not come back to his father. We're hurt, so pride says, nope, they can come to me. We're too nice and we let people take advantage of us and manipulate us. And the people of, 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 of in this room or maybe listening to this podcast, maybe you've been manipulated because you give too much. And because that happened, you built up too much of a wall just like David. Because that's what happened to David. He was too nice and his daughter gets raped. And then he wasn't nice enough or he wasn't mean enough. So his son kills his brother. Can you imagine the grief in David? He's like, I can never get this thing right. Look in verse 18. I must know one thing, the king replied, and tell me the truth. Yes, my lord, the king, she responded. Did Joab put you up to this? <laughs> and the woman replied, my lord, the king, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me and told me what to say. He did it to place the matter before you in a different light. In other words, they've been trying to get this dude to do the right thing for a long time. You ever been there? You got that... that friend or spiritual son or daughter or, or co-worker or colleague who you've been trying to get like, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And he's like, I'm just trying to bring you in a different light. But you are as wise as an angel of God. I love how this woman is just sucking up to King David. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I lied to you, but you are as wise as an angel. <laughs> and you understand everything that happens among us. So, so the king sent for Joab and told him, all right, go and bring back the young man, Absalom. Yay, right? 
Let's read the next verse. Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last, I know that I've gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. And Joab went to Jeshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. You see the imbalance? Bring him back, but I don't want nothing to do with him. I love that we worship a God that says, not only do I want to restore you, but I want you in my presence. And all it takes is for you to call on me and gather together with two or more. And the funny thing is, even though God knows that we'll turn our backs on him and we always fall short, fall short, he still wants relationship. No matter what. What is the issue with the unbalance of David's reconciliation? He won't let him come to him. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Let me say that again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. David was provoking Absalom. He could have corrected him. He could have showed mercy. He could have sought reconciliation. But he just would not extend the balanced arm of reconciliation. He provoked. What was he provoking? Absalom was already mad and angry and hurt and bitter. And this is just one more step because in Absalom's mind, he's totally right. You know, you, know, you never know what's going on in the other person's mind and their perspective. This is Absalom's perspective. I avenged my sister's rape. I ran away and didn't cause any more problems. Where you at, Dad? You ain't reached out to me. And now that I'm here, I can't even sit with you at the table and I'm supposed to be the prince? But that's what we do. Why won't they reach out to me? Why won't they say something to me? Why won't they do this? You don't know what happened. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what my life entails. I don't need to know. You have been redeemed. You have been reconciled to the Father. And he has put you in a place higher than anyone else if what any offense has done to you. You walk kingly. You walk above. You trample on serpents. And I believe that we think sometimes when we think of serpents, serpents and, and scorpions, we think of demons and darkness. But sometimes demons and darkness don't look like shadowy figures in the night. Sometimes your biggest demon is simply the fact that you can't forgive. But you're supposed to walk on top of it. And in verse 25, now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. Jerk. <laughs> he cut his hair only once a year. Jerk. And then, <laughs> and then only because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. Dude had five pounds of hair. That's more than Justin. That's a lot of hair. And I'm not going to spoil much, but we'll find out in a few chapters that his long hair is what ended up killing him. Because sometimes the biggest thing you treasure, if it's not God, it can be the thing that bites you in the butt. 
And he had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar. Aww. Look what he's doing. He was, he was naming his daughter after his shamed sister. He had a good heart. And good hearts mean everything, right? No. <laughs> the heart is the most deceiving thing you have. That's why you have to let God give you your heart's desires. Because most of them are corrupt. How does God give you your heart's desires? Seek him. He's reconciled you back. He says, come into my presence. You can ask anything of the chief justice now. Who's our chief justice? God. Ask anything. You feel like you've been done wrong? Ask him for, to do it right. You feel like you've been cheated? He'll make it right. It may not be how you like it. <laughs> but I would accept anything from my father, whether it be a yes or a no, or a hurt or a pain, or blessing upon blessing. She was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Look at this. Exiled for three, and now he's reconciled, but not allowed to be in his presence in two more years. It's like 10 years of no reconciliation at this point. He's growing bitter, hostile, he's vengeful, and he's got some great things working for him. We just read scripture that it said he was the most beautiful, handsome man in Israel from head to toe. You know, that's exactly the reason why people were so quick to follow King Saul. Because of his looks. And that's what we do in America. We won't follow God, but we'll follow the example of celebrities because they look like they have it so good. Like, we'll go after celebrity diets, and God actually gives us diets in the Bible. But, oh, that's religious, and that's not going to do good for me. Like, like, really? Like, this book literally has everything we need. He's the most handsome man. He, he's got advantages. People are starting to look to him because this dashing young prince is back in the kingdom. And David hadn't been doing nothing. David hadn't done anything with Amnon's death. He hadn't done nothing with Tamar's rape. David didn't do nothing. So in verse 29, it says that Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him. What was he trying to intercede for? He said, I want to get back in the presence of my father. But Joab refused to come. So Absalom, being a great man and a soft-hearted man, sent for him a second time. But again, Joab refused to come. So we're about to see the forgiving grace of Jesus in Absalom. So Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field. <laughs> I'll get that man to look at me. The field next to mine. So they set this field on fire at Absalom and commanded. And then Joab, then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Jeshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well stay there. Let me see the king. I'll burn down the other stuff. If he finds me guilty of anything, let him kill me. You see how convinced Absalom is that he doesn't, hadn't done nothing wrong? He said, hey, if I've done anything wrong, you know, dad, dad can kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. And then at last, David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. When Absalom was reconciled back to his father's kingdom, because at this point he's been totally reconciled, he's been forgiven, he's in his father's presence, and he's been giving a king's kiss. 
favor on him, restoration. He's got everything back. He's the prince. He's back at his father's table. He's, he's back in royalty. Everything's good to go. But there was one thing that he did not do, which is key to the balance of reconciliation. There was no repentance. He didn't admit what he did was wrong. He thought he was totally justified. And David looks right past it. You want favor with God? You come into his kingdom repentant and be ready to change, ready to be led, ready to sacrifice everything at the expense of, of serving our king. Justice is meant through repentance because of Jesus paying that price. David's unbalanced. He kissed Absalom and embraced him without holding him accountable. And because there was inadequate, unbalanced reconciliation, what we're going to see next week is that Absalom leads an entire rebellion to the point of David has to leave his own kingdom. Because he got everyone to be on his side because he used his new position of being royalty to his advantage. And God being perfect, unlike David, he says, I've reconciled you. But to get with me, you've got to repent. Think about what the Father says about forgiveness. The Father says, if you don't forgive those who have done wrong against you, I cannot forgive you. Everything is balanced. Repentance is necessary. Extending reconcili reconciliation is necessary. And as I began thinking about this whole passage, I thought about a very popular parable about a son being reconciled to his father. The prodigal son. You know what the difference is between here and the prodigal son? When the prodigal son came home, he was repentant. He knew what he did was wrong. And this is what it says, actually, at the end of that parable in Luke 15, 20. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. <laughs> Here's the other difference. The father met the son. <laughs> God extended his arm way before you knew you had to run back to him. So he, he, saw, he, he saw his father coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. Look at this, the same thing. David kissed Absalom once Absalom came, but Absalom had not repented. When the father saw his son coming in this parable, repentant, he ran and gave him the kiss of acceptance. His son, late, his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both, you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Totally repentant. He wasn't looking for position. He wasn't looking for, he wasn't even looking to be restored. He was just saying, Father, just forgive me. I've done wrong. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Balance. Not just mercy, but repentance because of mercy. And as I was reading that passage, as I closed with this message, there is something very powerful about this passage of Scripture that I think is overlooked so much. 
The son came back and balanced reconciliation. Repentant, paid for his sins, everything he needed to do. But when he came back, the father called him reconciled, but the father was not the one who put on the robes and got the ring and put on the sandals. It was his servants. The community partnered with the father in reconciling the son. And if we really want to see the reconciliation of God on this earth, we can't just say it's me and God. We've got to come together as a community and be ready to reconcile the lost. To not turn our heads or turn our, our backs to people who are totally broken. To not turn our heads to people who have stabbed us in the back. To embrace everyone. Embrace drunks and drug addicts and homosexuals and people who have had abortions and we need to accept people who are the, the most vulgar people and we need to accept people who are the most vile characters. We, we, it, not to excuse what they did, but to reconcile what they have lost because they are acting out of loss. They are acting out of emptiness and they don't even know it because we're not ready to put royal robes back on the people that don't think they, they deserve it. And Jesus teaches us something very powerful. And I'm going to read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. It says, we understand that our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than a sincere heart. I don't know about you, but I am totally okay with having a sincere heart rather than a spectacular ministry. I think it's a waste of time to gather thousands of people who jump and shout at the sound of a kick drum rather than a small group of people truly seeking the Father. If it seems we're crazy, it, it, it is to bring glory to God. If we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have to die to our old self. Balance and reconciliation. Sacrifice. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was, rose and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Your call for reconciliation is you can no longer look at the person needing to receive it from a human point of view. You can no longer look at your abuser from a human point of view. You can no longer look at your betrayer from a human point of view. It's illegal for you to look at them like that because you are now living a new life. If you are truly living a new life in Christ, you will not look at the enemy as an enemy anymore. You will look at them as a lost prodigal and say, I'm going to do what I can do to live peacefully to reconcile the lost back to my father. You know, I find it funny. Joab didn't 
just look at Absalom as a threat. He looked at him as a lost son trying to reconcile him to his daddy. We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we followed Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. It is our call. You cannot walk out of this room and say, God has not called me to reconcile. It's everyone's call. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people sinned against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. You want to know how we get to a place where we can witness and show the love of God and when people totally call us stupid, we can take it? Because we realize it's no longer us speaking. It's Christ speaking through us. And what they're blaspheming is not us. It's him. And he's already taken their stripes. And he's still extending the reconciliation. He's already taken it. You, you want to know how we can, these disciples, they were all murdered in horrible ways except for one because he survived it. They were crucified upside down. They were boiled alive. They were thrown in hot tar. Their heads decapitated. These 12 disciples of Jesus, horrible deaths. You know why they did it and didn't deny him? You ever think about that? Like, like Peter denied him three times at the thought of crucifixion, but then when it came down to it, Peter went through one of the most horrible deaths you know how he, how, how he, how he went through it? Because he was like, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Because my purpose is no longer me. It's, it's Christ. It's no longer my dreams. It's his. It's no longer my vision. It's his. It's no longer my desires. It's his. So as long as Christ is being made known, you can hate me all you want. You can condemn me all you want. As long as he's getting glory. How does he get glory to it? I'm dying to myself. I'm living out the balance of reconciliation. We are the church. We're called to be controlled by his love, called to be sincere, and called to be the ministry of reconciling people to him. And if we're going to do that, we have first got to carry out that balance in us so that we can extend it. So let us walk out of this place tonight with the mindset that we are to be reconciling everything flowing from walking with our Father. Because he didn't just buy you back. He allowed you in his presence. And you got everything you need to accomplish that task. Amen?